catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to continue our expectation series. We've been having a lot of fun with these. And today we have two players to talk about that are that are pretty darn central to the Ravens 2022 season, Tyler Linderbaum and Justin Matabike. And joining me for that is Jordan Coe of the Situation Room. Jordan, how are you doing? Good, Ken. Thanks for having me on. Always, always happy to be here with you. Yeah, always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, great talking football uh, with you and with Gabe, with with. So many of the regulars on this show, but uh, but you guys certainly have have, uh, have done an awful lot for the show in the, in the last year or so, and uh, really appreciate having having you on as frequently as you as you come on. 
So yeah, you ready to talk some Tyler Linderbaum? Yeah, the the lightning rod of the Ravens draft. It feels like there you go. That's a, that is a a fair metaphor there. Uh, a center from Iowa drafted number twenty five of overall. Uh, certainly has a lot of positives in his game: quickness, first step, intelligence, processing speed, especially when when pass blocking are all very good. Uh, I think there are two significant questions with him, and uh, maybe I'd love to hear if you have others. But the first is. Can he maintain quickness with more weight? So he needs to find a spot on the efficient frontier of weight and quickness, in my mind, to be effective at the NFL level. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the that's really the the weight, I think, and the arm length are kind of the, the thing is, can he anchor when these big guys come at him up the middle? The teams are going to try and isolate him. Um, they're going to try and make him be the guy that's doing some of that blocking on his own. Is he going to be able to do that? I think from what they were asking him, him to do at Iowa, I think he was lighter for a reason, right? Like, like everyone, you know, there's, there was a lot of talk about the type of scheme that he was in and being more successful in that scheme. But you would also have to think that he was training, building, preparing for that scheme, right? So if you're going to ask him to be in something that, that that's different than that, then you would assume the preparation is a little bit different than that, right? I think that his ability, I think what his strength is, is his ability to latch onto defenders and stay between himself and the or keep that defender and him, himself in between the defender and the quarterback, right? Um, yeah. And I think that a lot of those things, even with a little bit more weight, are still going to be there. Maybe we aren't going to see some of these tremendous. 40 yards down the field throwing blocks kind of thing anymore. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be as light, but I still think that that ability to stay between the guy that has the ball in his hands and the guy that he's supposed to be blocking is going to stay absolutely primary for him. Yeah, I, I agree. And and he could slip some, frankly, in the 40 and pick up more weight. And I think that would be that would be fine. That wouldn't impact his downfield blocking much. And and uh, you definitely nailed the other the other situation. And for once, I didn't have to call it out first was the arm length. Uh, he has some of the shortest arms of any NFL center at 31 and a quarter inches. Uh, he, as all shorter arm players do, learned tricks that were effective at the college level to quickly defeat arm length of the players that were there. Uh, Garrett Bradbury, Billy Price are the two first round centers who are the best comps for him in recent years because they were shorter arm guys. Uh, Price at 32 inches, Bradbury at 31 and three quarters, both a little bit longer. Um, but but they both failed at the NFL level. I mean, unquestionably, Garrett Bradbury didn't have his fifth year option picked up. Uh, he was a guy who was, a, again, a very much of a lightning rod pick for the Vikings. And, and Billy Price, of course, uh, the Bengal. Uh, who moved around a little bit positionally. I'm sure that they would make excuses for him in terms of not having a, a, a single position to play. And they had Trey Hopkins playing a lot of center for them. So I, 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 to me, um, both those guys are probably better examples, better comps than just about anybody I can come up with. And in fact, I went back and I looked at Garrett Bradbury's scouting report. And if you didn't have the name in there, you'd think they were talking about the same guy as, as Linderbaum. That's kind of concerning. You know, I, yeah. I, I certainly haven't gone back and kind of compared their profiles prototypically. I, you know, certainly when you get into the current year draft buzz, you get a lot of this guy is like, you know, the best in this year's class kind of thing, which Linderbaum certainly was. Um, and then it created some separation in that regard. So, so I, I can't say anything about kind of how they compare specifically. I also think that I do think some of the schematic pieces matter, right? Like the Ravens look at Linderbaum specifically as a center 
they were targeting him as a center and are targeting him to use in specific ways. I think as a center, um, you look at some of like the counter bash stuff where the Ravens will actually pull the center um, yes. and use him in some of ways that I think will allow him to be more effective um, than some of these other guys might've been. And maybe, maybe those guys would have been better guards in the Ravens system as well, um, which allowed them to use kind of some of that mobility and some of those pieces in it. So um I think there are there. Are, I think there's some leeway there and some truth into both sides of kind of why he might be successful when other guys couldn't have been. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think just in terms of what the Ravens system is, I, I think if you get caught up in the Ravens system and whether it's zone or gap, I mean, they run both. They 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 do lots of of plays of 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 each type. Um, there and of course they pull as you as you mentioned. I think we'll see you know four or five pulls a game from Linderbaum this year. Um, I think if you get caught up, though, in, in what scheme they actually run, um, you lose the forest for the trees because the Ravens also do all sorts of things to create double teams on the inside to open up space for their run game. And being a run-heavy attack to start with uh, probably plays to his strength. A few less pass plays per game is going to help Linderbaum. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even with that said, the guys that are around him, ideally, if the Ravens offensive mm-hmm. line continues to progress forward, Ronnie Stanley being the big factor here, right? Because everything cascades yep. downhill without Ronnie Stanley. But assuming Ronnie Stanley is healthy, ready, and that's the offensive line one unit that's intact, you know, Zeitler to his right is a huge benefit that he's got that they're going to yep. be able to use to like help hide and protect him. Um, and so I, I think that that is going to allow for a little bit of grace as well kind of in that kind of upswing as he gets, as Leonard Baum gets started. Yeah. And how he plays with those two guards and, you know, I, I, let's presume for a second that it might be Cleveland, but it could be Phillips. You know, it could be McCary. Um, Each one brings their own specific set of challenges to that. In, in, uh, in Phillips case, it's probably quickness and in Cleveland's case, it's uh, it's definitely you know quickness uh, uh, not processing as much I don't think I think that those two guys next to each other is a good processing pair for making sure that the a gap isn't bombed with stunts and blitzes but on the other hand um, you crossing the face of Cleveland is something that a three tech may want to try and that allows you know good extension of the arm on a player like Linderbaum where that's really his weakness so I, 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 I he's he's got a lot of opportunity to work with guys who are different styles and types that includes the tight ends who will help you know motion into the middle and 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 double occasionally um includes lots of different opportunities to work with different people but so one of the things he's got to do is get on those double teams quickly and resolve them quickly because most double teams most combination blocks what you're really trying to do is get the player off balance so one can take him and then move as quickly as you can up to level two a defender who actually forces that double team to continue is is actually kind of winning the exchange by by forcing the double team to continue. You know, if, if you're Tony, Tony Siragusa and you're 342 pounds of, I'm not going anywhere, which was one announcer f- so famously said long ago, um, or you're Sam Adams and, and, you know, two people can't move you effectively. I mean, you're you're winning those reps, even though you're sitting there looking like you're getting stood up by two people. And I think that's where Linderbaum's speed um, and athleticism is going to make a big difference because if they can – you know, it's one thing for a guy to occupy a double team and essentially hold it tight, right? I think part of it is also that some of those defenders are going to use their arms. They're going to cling onto that other guy. They're not going to let him release to the mm-hmm. second level. That's that's just part of how the game operates. If it's inside the pads, it's legal. 
Linderbaum's ability to release from that, get to the second level, and be a block at the second level could be huge for this offense in particular, right? Yeah. I think that you know whether or not whether or not you thought that uh, Price or Bradbury had the ability to be able to do those kind of things, if Linderbaum is able to do that, the impact that impact is going to show up on the stat sheet and it's going to be significant both in, for Lamar and for Dobbins and Edwards. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think that, that you know he's. He's central to clearly the success of the run game in a lot of ways. The, the guards are too, and, and don't let me make it be any less. I mean, they pull so often. Uh, you know, that's that's one of the things. And, and frankly, the tackles are in terms of going up half a level and, and hitting a scraping linebacker. Even the less is asked of them. Uh, but Linderbaum, uh, you know, not only has value in level two as a player, he could be the back end of some double teams where the the man is unbalanced by a huge hit from Cleveland or Zeitler and left for him. So that's something that, 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 you know, he's, he, I don't think he's going to have difficulty with that at the NFL level. I think it's more one-on-one pass blocking situations that are going to be the real issue. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And, you know, hopefully the Ravens will continue to use play action. I mean, I guess that's the really, the really big question, right? The differentiator between the 2019 offense, well, talent aside based on injuries between 2019 to 2021, sure. like the, the ability of the Ravens to be a in if, or their ineffectiveness in five wide empty back sets um, was really the differentiator. Everything else, all things considered were good enough. Like the running game was good enough, right? Mm-hmm. Like the passing game generally play action wise was good enough. It was that when they really needed to step back, drop back to pass, they weren't getting that effectiveness. And so the, the question to me is, how much of that was offensive line? How much of that was offensive line up the middle, taking Lamar's ability to step up into some of those throws away or create some of those side-to-side lanes where he's able to kind of move the pocket left or right, give himself a lane to run or throw in and take advantage of it. If Linderbaum can help share some of that up in the middle, huge success. You know, Even if it's not perfect, um, it's just got to be a little better than it was last year. Yeah, I mean, honestly, in the middle, I don't think the middle was the problem at all last year. Bradley Bozeman, pretty good year. Um, if Let me just say, if Linderbaum could perform like Bradley Bozeman did a, as a pass blocker, he'd be exceeding my expectations. I'll say that right off the bat. I know he's a first-round draft pick. I know a lot of Baltimore fan, fans think, oh, you're not giving me a chance, and, you know, show me the other guy who's as quick. And is, You know, one of the problems about that, one of the problems about any kind of draft pick analysis is, I, I want to do as complete a job as I can, but there's imperfect information in terms of who are the true comps for Linderbaum. There hasn't been almost been very few players as short armed as him coming into the NFL. Uh, and then they have to be first round draft picks and then they have to, you know, to, to, to be comparable to him. And then even after I, you know, I say, well, Price and Brad Bradbury are probably the best two comps. And you've got other guys, the three other guys who are 33 inches and above were all pro bowlers. Uh, you know, then you, <laughs> they say, well, show me another guy with, well, I can't show you another guy because football doesn't have control groups that are that good. You know, you, you have to do some extrapolation and some honest evaluation yourself about what's going on here. And uh, I'm very hopeful, by the way, I know it sounds like I'm negative because I have a, a fairly centrist position in my mind about, about who Tyler and everybody is, but I'm very hopeful about what he can be. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that. I think that's spot on. If he could be as good as Bozeman was, I think that there were. I think the problem is that when you look at guys, like when you look at the middle of how your pass blocking team operates between both guards and center, you can have a really good grade for one or one or even two of those guys and still see a ton of pressure up the middle, right? And so right. that could still be. 
thanks to scheme and inability of some of those guys on the line. And I'm not trying to call out Bozeman, but if, if you're saying, well, Bozeman or whoever's at center at that time isn't doing a good enough job in this. So we have to scheme it this way. And it's going to leave our guy at left guard who is more susceptible to pass rush be at a disadvantage. That might not, it might show Bradley Bozeman winning that snap from a pass block perspective, but from a scheme perspective, it's hurting you. Right. And there's no way to account for that in football. I think that's also similar to what you're kind of saying here. So I I think that if we get those results that you're talking about, total, totally agree. Huge success. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about goals for this year. Um, one of the things I want to see is that Roman really understands what his limitations are and schemes to maximize his effectiveness with double teams. It's not even a, something that's on him. It's about how this, how, what run concepts he, he, uh, Roman chooses to use that will allow him to start with a double, use his speed to move up into level two on pass plays to, to use his ability to get into level two and, and, give a jolt to this screen game that the Ravens haven't had in a while. They've got a running back now who could do it. They've got a really good receiving running back in Tyler Beatty. And I think we could get some out of J.K. Dobbins as well. But, you know, they haven't really had an asset on the offensive line who can move to level two and make blocks. They've had tight ends, but they really haven't had an offensive lineman. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, that, that's spot on. And that's, that's, I mean, the whole Raven season is going to boil down to maybe not the center position, but yeah, left tackle. <laughs> yeah. The, the offensive line as a whole, and then how that marries with Greg Roman's ability to call the games, right? Because I think we saw this once Lamar was out of the games late in the year as well. You know, I, w- I was just reading an article like right after the Kansas City game, you know, when the Ravens were running the ball exceptionally well at that point in the year, defenses made adjustments. Greg Roman did not have the next card to play once it all kind of, once it all got figured out. So the idea is that if you can upgrade it on enough of these spots, that there will always be a counter card to be played and that Roman will be able to, in theory, identify exactly what the other team is trying to isolate, pick the thing that he can show is going to look like the one thing to trap whatever that guy is and attack the other spot if he's got enough effectiveness across the board. Um, and Linderbaum is going to be a huge part of that. Yeah, you need, you need that good in-game adaptability to your, to your play-calling scheme. I don't, I don't know who the Ravens have that actually is trying to observe that. Actually, obviously, the, def- the offensive and defensive coordinators are trying to observe at a very high level. But because you call the plays, I would think you don't have the same kind of time to really isolate on what's not working for your team in the same way you would with some sort of, sort of say, guy who has responsibility for two individuals on the offensive line. I'd love to really get inside that process and understand exactly what the coaching responsibilities are in that box and, and how they then report up to Roman and say, Hey, we're not having any success moving uh, a Sean Robinson here. How do we, you know, is, is there anything else we can do? Like, like a motion, a tight end into there to, to be part of a double team kind of thing. I just, I would love to be, I would love to know more about that process. Yeah. I would love to know more about it as well. And then how they evaluate. I mean, I think this is way off topic, but I think that's the interesting part about the Greg Roman debate is it's like, what are the internal metrics that you're using? It's like any manager, what are the internal metrics that you're meaningfully using to evaluate him? Right. And are they like, are they good or not? And and it must be that they have something that we didn't expect because that's what happened to Martindale, right? Like the reason, and part of, part of the reason he's gone is because they sucked on defense last year, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think part of that also is like these were the metrics and the ways that we laid this out. These are the areas where you weren't able to meet that and why we had to go in a different direction. I think at least internally, something that Greg Roman is doing from like that evaluation point is working. 
is still working or or has been excused based on right. on the injuries of last year. That could both could be true, I guess. Um, let's talk about some other things we want to see. Uh, I talked about resolving double teams. How about avoiding um, illegal downfield penalties? And we haven't had this come up yet, but we did have it come up some with Zeitler last year. Had a, had one that was really undeserved and and cost the Ravens points. But uh, he is a Linderbaum is a player who's going to want to get down the field in pass plays. The Ravens' offense is tricky with all the RPO and the. Uh, the timing often gets screwed up by the linemen in terms of going downfield. Linderbaum has a high energy, you know, a high effort lineman getting to, to want to get downfield needs to avoid those penalties. He needs to be very smart about it. Um, those penalties are, are, by the way, much worse than a false start penalty. A false start penalty costs you five yards. An illegal downfield play costs you five yards at the best because otherwise, if the play doesn't work for any reason, the defense takes that instead. So I, I don't see a lot of discussion about that, but I will say that, that that's something that really should be differentiated in how you look at, at uh, you know, some of the minor penalties against the offense. Yeah, I, you know, it's an interesting one because the league sucks at calling those plays. You know, it was super mm-hmm. annoying on the play where Zeitler got called for it because he's allowed to be engaged at that point down the field, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, like if he wasn't engaged... Um, yeah, it, it, the league just sucks at getting these right. They're legal men downfield all the time on a ton of plays all across the NFL that are never called, that are way more egregious than the one that we saw. Um, yes. So I, I don't worry about it as much because I don't think it's I think it, I don't think it's going to get called as much. But um, you know that one that that one play in particular that you're talking about was super weird when they called it. Yeah, it was bothersome, that's for sure. Uh, We mentioned this already, but providing value as a puller in the Ravens' frequent counterplays, you know, they they pull tackle guard or tackle center. It depends upon the defensive alignment, but uh, you know, there there are going to be a lot of center tackle counterpulls this year, where we're going to see two guys in motion, and in every time that's run. Linderbaum will be the leading blocker. If you think about it, the, the tackle is always the trailer. I, I don't even downgrade a tackle if they can't connect on a block like that. If they were positioned to make the block, I give them the, 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 the score for that play. Um, the leading blocker, he has to find a block because he's, he's uh, you know, more advantaged in terms of, of being able to do that. Uh, it's something I, I really expect to see Linderbaum show off some good technique and maybe make some good choices that could impact the man behind him positively. So he may say, you know what, I could take this guy, but I can maintain my momentum and take that that safety or that corner or that linebacker because I know that that uh, Morgan Moses will pick up this guy, for example. So I, I'll, I'll be interested to see how his decision-making is on some of those polls. And how they call I think some of that is coached and schemed as well. And part of what was so effective, this article that I was reading, it was from um, – I was on the ringer right after the Kansas city game. It was, it was one of those instances where the Ravens stopped letting Jack, where they allowed Jackson to be the guy that was running up the middle, right? Like he wasn't the guy yeah. going to the outside anymore. He was the guy cutting up the middle. Kansas city didn't really have a response for that. You get that same kind of potential action with the trailer and the tackle too, right? If Lamar's mm-hmm. the guy going up the middle and he can use that guy to his advantage, how you coach and scheme up all that. There are a lot of different ways to call those blocks and gives Greg Roman a lot of cards to play. Like if we can, I'm not – look, I, I was anti-Greg Roman, but I think that this pick is where we find out whether or not, like, he can cut it, right? Like, if you put a good – like, if you if you invest in your offensive line that's in front of him, you give him the right scheme and the right 
guys that fit into what he's trying to accomplish. They should either be successful this year and be as good as they were in 2019, or we need to find a new off- offensive coordinator. Okay. okay. I, I'm, I'm going to stop you right there. As good as they were in 2019 is not, is not reasonable. That, they had a historic offense. 3.08 points per drive was the fifth highest in NFL history. Relative to cap dollars, it was the greatest in NFL history. And it's it, it's just it's not reasonable. I want to see something between 2020 and 2000 and 2019, maybe about two point seven points per drive. If they if they could get back to that level, uh, I think they would fuel all sorts of ability to lean on other teams offenses with their defense by having the lead. I mean, I, I agree with that. I, I I still think that this offense is otherworldly. The Lamar Jackson is otherworldly that his name should be. If this offense called in Greg Roman style can work, like it should be a top 10 trend setting sure. offense every year in NFL, not top 10 in the league in history, NFL history. Oh, okay. <laughs> it, it, as, as, as defenses get lighter, as defenses get more focused on past defense, as defenses shift away from the style that the Ravens run and the Ravens mm-hmm. lean into it more, have better tight ends that are blocking have better offensive linemen in front of them. I mean, if you look at the receivers we had in 2019, it was, it was trash, right. Um, In terms of talent. Right. So I I agree with you. Like you can't say we should be historically good, but I think all the cards are there to say that at a minimum we should be getting close to, or seeing something that looks a lot more like that than, than what we've seen in the last two years. Okay. Well, that's fair. And, and I obviously, you know, there is a stark drop off that occurred literally the moment that Ronnie Stanley left the field in that game against Pittsburgh in 2020. So hopefully if we see him back, then a lot of that uh, can be corrected because a lot of that blindside trust he has with Lamar and the ability to kind of back into him as he dies slowly on that left side is, uh, is just so critical to the Ravens offense. All right, so I, I had one other thing for for um, Linderbaum that I really want to talk to. That's his reaction to stunts and blitzes at the college level was really exceptional. Great processing speed, understands quickly when he needs to to move out or change. I hope that the the other players with him can can keep up with that, can accept handoffs as fast as he can process what he needs to do next. Uh, I. I there is a little bit of risk at the NFL level that he's going to face some players who really try and exploit him with length as they're the second man through. And I think that's, that is a risk. Um, there aren't two, there aren't a lot of inside linebackers, by the way, who have much longer arms than him. It's, it's uh, it does happen, but it's not super common or anything. Uh, there are outside linebackers though, that if they're stunting, uh, have 34 inch arms and could give him all kinds of trouble. Uh, and, and not to mention, it's not just the three tech guys on the inside or, or a, uh, or a huge one who, who might uh, get stretched out against him. But uh, it's one thing I really want to see is that he, he is as good as advertised in terms of reactive pass blocking. Well, and that, that his quickness hopefully is the thing that makes up for all of that, right? Combined mm-hmm. with his processing speed. So if, even if a guy's got longer arms than him, his ability to recognize that he's going to get beat in that, in that moment put himself in enough of a position to give Lamar a chance to, to get out of whatever that trouble is. And Lamar is great at that. I hopefully will be what's going to make up for that, but his processing speed is tremendous. And I love that the Ravens have added some guys both in, you know, Marcus Williams, Kyle Hamilton and Tyler Linderbaum that are oh, yeah. fast processing guys on the field, because it feels like, like Patrick queen as an example is a slow processing guy on the field. Yeah. It's good to have the guys that are doing it the other way around. 
Yeah, that's a that's a real good point. You know, Josh Bynes, I would put also in that fast, much faster play speed than that actual speed kind of category. Uh, all right, I think that's enough. Let's talk about a good and a great year for Tyler Lindebaum. So, do you want me to start off with good? And yeah, sure. Okay, fantastic. So, a good year to me. He takes the starting center role from day one, and I don't really think that's in question. I mean, Harbaugh's already talking about it. He doesn't talk about it normally with rookies. He didn't talk about it with Orlando Brown. Uh, who was a third round pick who was originally thought maybe might go to the Ravens at number 14. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, a guy who, who, you know, certainly uh, is already, uh, you know, planned to take the center job from a guy that just paid $5 million a year. So I, I think that's, that's the, the one thing, the first thing he needs to do. And I, I expect growing pains during the season. I expect week to week, variation in his offensive line scoring, certainly the way I do it. I think it'd be the same on PFF. If you look at that in terms of variation of, of just how well he's pass blocking or run blocking, or maybe there's be games where he's asked to pass block more that don't go as well. Games that the Ravens are just running all over the opponents that look terrific. Um, it, games where he has lots of highlight blocks, but I expect week to week variation. What I want to see is by the end of the year that he's providing above average play uh, across the board, meaning I, I want to see average or above in pass blocking and, and above average as a run blocker, really. Uh, and I want to then have the prospects for 2023 and beyond um, look bright relative to that, that we can look back and say, hey, he's, he's playing at this level. But you know what? He improved from this level at the start of the year. So, boy, we're we're excited about where he could go. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a perfect assessment of what a good year would look like. And, and you know, it's easy to translate exactly where the Ravens offense is going to be successful in almost each one of those areas. If, if that's that's kind of the results that we're getting from him. All right. Well, terrific. Let me go with a great year then. I want everything that I just talked about in terms of good, meaning he, by the end of the year, he's playing well. Uh, but I also want him to deliver shotgun snaps that allow Jackson to acquire the field quicker. Very important. And one of the things they didn't get out of Bozeman was they got a lot of 12 to 6 curveball snaps. And they weren't necessarily, you know, they weren't, for the most part, over Jackson's head, as we had some problems with in 2019. Uh, sorry, 2020, but they were they were at knee level where Jackson has to reach down, find the football, or they're outside, and Jackson has to be a catcher and reacting to that you know that near wild pitch and 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 saving the day. But what they do is they cost Jackson uh, tenths of a second, maybe two tenths, three tenths, four tenths, five tenths of a second in terms of acquiring the field and starting to make his reads, and it's almost as disruptive as press coverage in terms of, of, of disrupting routes. And Jackson's a great improviser. So it's not, the, it's not the end of the world. You know, it's not the end of the play. And Jackson, you know, has longer time per play than almost any other quarterback. But it is, it's very frustrating, and that's something he needs to get better. I, I'll add another couple things to this. I want to integrate his play to integrate well with both guards. You mentioned earlier it doesn't really do the Ravens good if Linderbaum has a great scored season, but the two guards – aren't playing well. Obviously, Zeitler, I don't really have any fear about, but but Cleveland, I do have a fear about, and, and he really needs to integrate his play, and, and they need to help each other both play better and, as they as they do. I want Roman to maximize his strengths. We already talked about that at length, and I want him to contribute to an offensive line and running offense that returns to prominence. I'm not going to try and define that. It doesn't have to be the number one running attack in the entire NFL in terms of, say, yards or even carries, but I want it to be number one in terms of efficiency. Yeah, see, to me, I mean, it all, I, I definitely, I mean, I would love to see those things. I, I hope the snap piece that you said fits into the good year for Linderbaum. I hope that 
I have some expectations that part of the reason they did that is because they want more stability from the snap and not just mm -hmm. taking away the bad end of the spectrum. And like that, two, like right, like when we're talking about a bell curve, that 3% on the really bad end, like, yep. and like just moving the whole thing. It's not just those, it's, it's moving the whole curve up and getting kind of a better expectation. We're going to draft a guy that was always a center and knows how to snap. And that's part of the value of why we took him in this pick. Um, so I guess that would, would have been something I wouldn't have even really considered that, especially given how much the Ravens will stay in pistol or shotgun over the course of the year. Lamar's just not going to take a lot of snaps under center. Um, I think to me, what defines what I would love to see on the great year side, I think Lamar getting more like 25 plus yard runs like than, than we saw. So like when you go back to what we saw in 2019 and even 2020, there was like the Cincinnati game where it got called back, right? Like you just see these tremendous runs from Lamar because you get these second level mid-level blocks where guys are getting taken out of the play and then Lamar's got all this open field around him and he can make those decisions. We, we saw him get cut off a yard or two away 15 times last year where he was this close to just absolutely breaking it out and it was a monster run and, and those just didn't ever seem to come to fruition last year. I don't tend to believe that that was because of anything the defenses were doing. I tend to believe that it was the lesser quality that we were getting from our offensive line blocking. Now you mix in the ability to let Linderbaum be the puller in those situations, to be the guy that's climbing to the second level in those situations. I think Lamar is going to be, maybe J.K. Dobbins as well, but Lamar is going to be the main benefactor from those situations, especially on, on these read option plays, where he's going to know that Linderbaum is going to climb to the second level and he's going to chase after it and he's really going to hit a home run on it. Yeah, that that certainly could be. I mean, a lot of the value of this of the of the Ravens' great runs up the middle in 2020. In fact, when Lamar first became the middle threat at a sidecar, uh, were were a function of misdirection that the opponents are just running themselves out of the play. And what's going to really help Lamar with that, in addition to the offensive line pulling well, is, is the running backs threatening all areas of the field. So that that should really be I, – I, most of the time we talk about Lamar improving every other player on the offense, and I think that's generally true. But in this case, they really need the running backs uh, on this team to be able to threaten each part of the field horizontally along that line of scrimmage to maximize Lamar's effectiveness too. Yeah, I, no, I totally – if I don't ever have to watch Devontae Freeman, Latavius Murray, <laughs> for the rest of my life, uh, that'll be a great that'll, – that'll be a great thing for, for my season next year. <laughs> yeah. All right, my friend. Let's, let's move on and talk a little Justin Matabike. Uh, you know, he's coming into year three right now. It's, a, a, to me, a very important inflection point in his career because – in some ways, I think he kind of took a minor step back in 2021, despite a lot more playing time. And, and we, can, we can look at that a few different ways. But there's only three young defensive linemen that the, the Ravens have. They have him, they have Jones, and they have Broderick Washington, who's, who's you know, somewhat of a lesser prospect than, than, than Matabike and Jones. Um, everyone else, in a sense, is a rental you know, if you really think about it, Campbell's, he's a two-year contract and he's a great player, um, but, but he's not going to be here forever. He's not part of the Ravens' long-term future. Wolf may not be part of the short-term future. Urban as well is probably competing with Wolf for one spot. And Pierce is signed for, I forget, two or three years. Uh, but again, you know, he's, he's an older player who, who it would be an upset if he plays that entire contract in Baltimore. I think we'd agree. Yeah, definitely agree. Um, and you know, Matapike is the the better start, I'd, I'd say, or, or, you know, he's the guy I think that has the, one of the highest opportunities of these guys, at least within this year. I think Travis Jones has got, we'll, we'll see what his upside looks like once he plays an NFL snap, but Matapike is yeah. just 
the sky could be the limit on this guy. And, you know, to me, the big question is, do the Ravens let him play a little bit more one gap scheme? Even if I think that's the thing that's holding him back. I think he's not big enough and not strong enough to offset that. And so can they find a way to unlock him within the system under Mike McDonald? I think like Wink demanded everybody be two gap players. Can, can there be some bend on that? And if there can, Matt Abike, I think, could have a really big year. Uh, the, first, the first way that that's going to improve is by having him play more passing downs than rundowns. And the Ravens, in, in picking up Travis Jones, and, and in fact, if they have Broderick Washington active or even Campbell and Urban active, um, you know, they have a lot of 1-3-5 versatility without having to go to Matabike on rundowns. And Matabike played 44% of the snaps last year, probably played more rundowns than I'm comfortable with, and I think it actually reduced his effectiveness. Um, but obviously, if he's, if he's playing more pass rush downs, he's going to have many more green lights. Or occasionally, he's going to have to have a controlled rush lane, but he's going to have many more green lights to, to, to one gap, to win a one-on-one matchup. He'll be called on to win the one-on-one matchup more often, I think, uh, with the Ravens' current set of pass rushers uh, that they have. So it'll be interesting to, to, to see how that plays out. But uh, I, I think part of getting the most out of Justin Matabike is fewer total snaps, and well, okay, he, more a higher percentage of snaps coming on on pass rushing downs. Let me just say that. Yeah, and and a lot of this will be dictated by the offense. You know, I, I think that the Ravens will, if things look as good on offense as they should be, will be forcing teams to be throwing the ball and playing catch up more. They'll be running and grinding the clock down more, taking away opportunities. Um, I think all of that can all of that can play a part, and as and also see just more obvious passing downs. Um, you know, all things considered, that will let him improve in that way too. Yeah, I mean, it, to to bolster that point you just made, which is very key, the Ravens in 2019 played only 10.6 percent base defense. That's absurdly low by NFL standards. I mean, you, you, that means you're basically never getting in a position, or not frequently getting in a position where the other teams trying to run out the clock. I think that happened about one game in 2019. It was that game against uh, uh, Pittsburgh, sorry, Cleveland in week Cleveland. four where they had the 88-yard run. So, but but other, other than that, I mean, they played 13.2% race car snaps that year. So, you know, 25% more snaps out of this four outside linebacker, you know, oddball alignment that's, that's just a pure pass rush alignment than they played at base. And, you know, if the Ravens can return to that sort of thing, Sky's the limit for this team because they're, they're going to be able to play dime and quarter uh, as much as they want. Six, seven defensive backs uh, is going to mean that with a lead, the Ravens are really going to be able to lean on opponents. I already love them as an end of half team because I don't think that the other teams are going to be able to effectively get down the field against them, uh, or, you know, without risk anyway. With with seven defensive backs on the field, uh, if if that's the way they choose to go. And Matabike at his baseline can be, you know, he's not obviously an outside linebacker, but if you've got Matabike on the field with three outside linebackers, I'm not uncomfortable. That's not a huge drop off from a pass rush perspective at all. No, I, I, I'm I, I'm I'm including kind of think my thinking Matabike. It, would, it probably wouldn't be four outside linebackers anymore. It might be three, and it might be Campbell and Matabike as well, and then a dime behind that. Or it could be seven defensive backs with Matabike and three other outside linebackers. Or or it could be Matabike Campbell and two outside linebackers because the Ravens aren't 
cup is not over overflowing right now with with quality outside linebacking talent uh, right now. Uh, and, and they could get some pass rush from safety. You know, we could see Tony Jefferson and, and Chuck Clark uh, rushing the quarterback a little bit more from the inside there. I think that would be be kind of good, although they, they can use them in coverage. A lot of different ways they can align it. But I think I do see Matabika as a very key component of a uh, obvious passing down pass rush uh, personnel. And hopefully he can be utilized that way. You know, you mentioned the addition of Jones. It just the maximization of those snaps is, I think, going to be big for him as well. Yeah. So last year, the defensive line as a whole played 2.11 snaps uh, per play. So if you think about that, if, if your team is a base nickel team, they play nickel every single snap the entire season, you play 2.0. Uh, defensive lineman per snap, at least if, if with your typical personnel that you'd have on on that. The Ravens uh, played 1.93, so almost two-tenths or 0.18 less snaps per play by the defensive lineman in 2019. So there are... It, pretty darn extreme variations. You think that number is really incredible to me when I look at it, because I think that means that you were able to play obviously more with one down lineman than with three. And that is just, that's very, very unusual in the NFL. I don't care who you are uh, to have that kind of a ability to, to uh, be flexible like that and get fast on defense. Yeah. Well, and I think some of that last year was also just, you know, depth of this team. You know, we, when we talk about Matt Abike being able to be more targeted with the snaps, like the addition of Jones and Pierce is going to be significant and it's going to let them be more targeted with how they use guys. Broderick Washington should soak up some of those running down snaps as well. He flashed from time to time last year. I was actually really impressed with him. So I think, you know, that, that does leave that opportunity there for when Matt Abike is like one of the two or fewer guys that are in there, giving him a chance to have that impact. Now, the Ravens have, on a weekly basis, often gone with four defensive linemen and not five. And it looks like there's kind of six guys in camp competing for spots. And I, I will call it six, including one of those being Wolf slash Urban. Okay. And there are other guys I'm not even mentioned. And I apologize for that right up front. Uh, hopefully somebody you know comes out of nowhere and is a great one. But in a lot of ways, the Ravens are waiting for their depth to hold up. But if it did, uh, you know, a player like Broderick Washington, unfortunately, is probably trade bait towards the end of camp. He's in his third year, pivotal year for him, too. And you've got to think about, you know, do we really have room for him on this roster? Do you keep Brent Urban instead and uh, and let Broderick Washington go? I mean, they, they, they have some options. They could get him onto the roster on IR, um, I'm meaning onto the 53 on IR. Sorry, onto the 53, then onto IR, then, you know, bring a player like Urban back on a handshake deal. Uh, but the, the league also tightened up the rules, and I think largely on the Ravens uh, this year. I don't know if you saw this, but there's now only – it's a four-week minimum for your IR stay and only eight um, uh, total IR returns for the whole year. So a team that might put five guys on IR, uh, they're not going to – I don't think they're going to really see the same kind of return from that. Yeah, the rule changed uh, right after the last time you and I talked. So <laughs> you must have been listening. Yeah. All right, good stuff. Uh, let's talk about some goals for Matt Abike for this year. Um, improve his pass rush rate statistics is right at the top of the list for me. I mean, and I think that goes to your one gap penetrator comment. I want to see him get opportunities to beat guards one on one within the Ravens scheme it is now, regardless of what down he's in, in for. But it's going to mean it's going to be more likely that he can get exactly the kind of opportunity he wants if he's in an obvious passing down. Yeah, I, I, I think that's perfectly said. 
All right. Uh, how about playing fewer snaps in total and maintaining freshness for a higher rate of uh, those higher rates of one-on-one wins? Yeah, I mean, I think that fits right in with all we've been talking about here as well, that we his effectiveness lets him to be a little bit more pointed in his approach on the field. All right. All right. Well, this is good. You, you can just agree with me on every one of these. You, this, as an overplayer on twists to finish more often is the next thing I had. Ravens have a, a, a couple of good underplayers. Campbell is a good under or over. Wolf, one of the best underplayers. Uh, you know, they've had good players like Jernigan in the past, but they have some good overs, too. They have Bowser, Adafi Owe, and, and Matt Abike has exceptional quickness for a defensive lineman as a guy you can you can uh, trust to really disadvantage a guy who has to peel off a block and also create advantage for the underplayer. So I want to see him finish more often on some of those plays. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting that you say that this one. I, I mean, I agree. I think I would say that I don't feel like I remember, and again, I don't have notes on this, that he, him being in that role very often. So now whether that was that he was doing it and I wasn't noticing or they were calling on him to do that, both are the same thing to your point. But I would say that that, that that is not something that has jumped off the page to me as like one of his potential skills. Whereas like you talk about OA, you know, as, on twists and stunts, you know, immediately popped off the page the first time he did it, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> in an NFL snap. So um, he's either got to progress on that or the Ravens have got to use him more. My instinct would be that they haven't used him enough there, um, but but maybe you'll, you can correct me there. I, I don't think you're wrong. And one of the problems is that the, the Ravens probably have less called at the line twists by their players. So if, if uh, let me give you an example. If Campbell is, is, is lined up next to Matabike, that's a twist opportunity that can be called on the field, but it can't be called if you have any sort of blitz coming from behind. So it, it, they're limited in terms of what they can do. Uh, Campbell great guy for seeing the opportunity all he's got to do is you know make that motion to, to matabike before the play and it's on uh, i i i would you know i'd love to see more of those opportunities taken and i think that mcdonald will probably do a little bit less um blitzing from level two you can blitz off the slot by the way that's fine and you can still usually twist on the on the defensive line but uh but if you if you're twisting from inside linebacker from safety uh it's more difficult in terms of, of what you want to do yeah, I mean, McDonald's going to be a really interesting watch for this defense. I mean, obviously, retooled, um, you know, disadvantage to Martindale in terms of the health and the talent that the defense mm-hmm. had last year compared to this year. Um, but I, I, you know, I want to see the Ravens get back to basics, a lot more four-man rushes, like let these seven guys in pass coverage be as good as they're capable of being um, and, and give them the freedom to be able to do that. And so twists and stunts up front are going to be a big part of that. You've got, I mean, you could have four guys on – uh, as your four rushers, they, that could be quality, like twist and stunt players on every single mm-hmm. snap. Um, and so I think I'm, I'm optimistic that McDonald will take advantage of that and use that. Twist and stunts are a way of creating blitz type situations without blitzing. Um, and so I, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic that we'll see more of it. Yeah, always, always positive to see that kind of deception. Uh, let's get back to Matabike for a second. One thing I want to see from him is that he maintains his tackling and his motor slash pursuit i'll put it the same category but he's been a guy who's roamed the line of scrimmage very well to track down screen passes and i I don't want that to stop uh you know i don't want him to to to, you know see anything different about giving up on run plays and i've I've accented that i want him in on more pass plays but but there will be times when the football is run and i want him pursuing to the ball and and even if it's not run it can be a screen pass or a short pass you want to see a a big body like matt abike's chasing the football effectively uh, he's quick and, and he, he's certainly capable of doing it. And we don't want to see any, any reduction in motor. Yeah. I think some of that 
It's interesting because I've never I've never viewed him as a low motor player, but but that's always mm-hmm. usually when he's around the ball. He's like he's a good as a cleanup guy. He is, you know, he fights through, um, you know, on the backside not as much, but his 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 awareness is strong. So it hasn't been something that I felt like, oh man, I can't believe like if he would have been on the backside of that play, it wouldn't have happened. That hasn't also hasn't jumped off the page of me. Um, so maybe I'll be a little less critical of him than, on that than you did. Last year, and I, I'm, by the way, I'm not being critical about his past. I think it's actually one of his real strengths. But but it's I I, I want to make sure it doesn't go down, uh, you know, in, in this in a year where he's doing a lot more uh, pass rushing. I, I, last year, um, I was on the Lounge podcast, and they told me that Peter King had picked uh, Matabike as as his dark horse for Defensive Player of the Year in year two, which actually seems kind of funny at, at this point. Um, Peter's going through a formulaic process to get there. So he's saying, uh, who's a second year player? Cause that's second and third year players. Great source of dark horses who might evolve into a better player. Of course, I want somebody who plays on a good defense and I want to do this. And, you know, he's probably got it down to about six players that he's going to pick from just by this process of elimination component. And then he took Matt Abike and, uh, didn't look that great in terms of <laughs> the selection, but, uh, I respect the formula and, and I expect it to be a Dafe Owe this year that he is Tony as the dark horse DPOI. Well, there were a lot of people that were on high on Matabike last year. He had a lot of pass rush wins at the line of scrimmage the prior year um, and could have easily filled the stat sheet in terms of sacks. And so, you know, I, I don't hate it in that regard. And again, you still have to be good enough to be on that short list of six guys, right? Um, and I think Matabike was there. But, you know, certainly offense and defense impacted the Ravens' ability to get sacked last year. Um, and, and I think that, that affected Matabike in particular. All right, are we ready to talk about good and great? Let's All right, it. let's do it. Uh, so a good year for me, I, his pass rate win rate improves with more specialized pass down play. Uh, tackling and pursuit are above average. Don't have any reason to believe that wouldn't be the case, but uh, he, he might have been a little bit better as a rookie, honestly, than he was in his second year in those categories. So it's, it's tackling in particular, I want to make sure stays at a, at a, at a very solid level. And that he's not targeted in the run game, regardless of how they rotate him into games. He's going to be in for some snaps that might be run snaps. And I, I don't want to see that there's any targeting of him in, in that sense. I don't really believe that's occurred to date. But if the Ravens can line up guys the way they can right now in terms of all kinds of size, then Matabike could become the guy they try and run at. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he likely will be. Um so I think that's a that's a tough pill to to measure him against to say oh well it's a bad year if you were the smallest guy on the defensive line um, <laughs> that's not 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 that's not necessarily his fault but um, you know I, I think I'm in agreement with all those things I I want to see I, I would say a minimum of five sacks is a good year for Matt BK. I think mm-hmm. sa- I, I think sacks have to be look pass rush, pass rush win rate and getting pressures are very important but. I think the thing that the Ravens have lacked and part of the reason why Wink is gone is that they didn't have those big impact moment sacks when they needed to happen. Like sacks are, have such a significant impact. So like, even if you are pressuring the quarterback, if, if every other play you're giving up a 40 yard bomb on, on the same pressure, it doesn't make a difference. Right. And so I want to see a guy that is actually doing some of that cleanup work and can get in the backfield and do that. Matabike has that skill set. This, this, his speed and his ability to kind of cut through blocks in that regard like he comes free at the quarterback and doesn't finish sacks a little bit more often last season than I would have liked to see. And I think that's the difference between what I would have called an average year for him last year and a good year for him in this upcoming year. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, that's. I think that's very fair in terms of, of expecting more finishing, and, and uh, I'd love to see that too. Let's move on to great here. Uh, to me, a great year. He breaks out as an interior pass rusher with a specialized role. Uh, the Ravens' pass defense generates more turnovers, and you know it, it, it's like pitching and defense. Your coverage and your pass rush are so inexorably connected that you, you can't really separate the two. You can come up with disconnection after disconnection to, to try and isolate the effect of each, but you, you can never really do a great job at it. So while I want to see more finishes, if he's getting pressures that lead to turnovers and they keep showing up on my weekly star quality report from that, that's cool too. If the, if the um, and this is, I'm less likely to actually notice this, but if the safety is coming up into the box as a robber and he's taking away a route and that allows Matabike to finish, Fantastic for him, too. Either way, take the win however it comes. Yeah, it is a defensive line, especially for this Ravens team, right? Like if, like if you look at the way a team like the Eagles approaches defensive line and you look at the way the team, the Ravens approach defensive line, you're just like Jordan Davis is going to have a statistically better year, even if you thought he was the same talent level as Matt Abike. I think he's better talent, but he's going to have a better year in their system and the way they, they attack on defense than a defensive lineman is going to have for the Ravens, right? So, like, defensive line is probably where statistically guys kind of go to die. It's why the Ravens put so much value on Brandon Williams because he allowed them to do other things with the rest of the defense with what he did on defensive line, and it was tremendously unglamorous, tremendously unstatistical. Some people couldn't even see what the impact was of that on tape. Now, obviously, once he declined and wasn't adding those things, you could see it on the rest of the defense, <laughs> right? And that's, that's the problem with it. And then it's like, oh, see, we were right. He wasn't doing anything in the first place. I think some of that was just his kill decline in general. Um, but I think that Matabike is victim to that. Like a very a great year for Matabike is, is reflected more in the balance of the defense. I guess the only difference I would say is that if he can find his way, you know, you say pass rush specialist, you know, we're talking eight plus sacks. If he's that guy for this Ravens defense, to me, that's easily, easily able to mark as like a great year. Oh, I would agree. That'd be a great year. I'll give you, I'll give you another flag for a great year is he's a candidate for extension prior to 2023. So he'll be through three years and he'll be one of those guys that the Ravens say, okay, we want to make sure we have you for the duration here. Uh, let's sign you to a four-year extension right now that, that kicks in after your fourth year is done. So you're here for eight years. And that's the uh, measurement of what you I, were talking go about. Go back to Brent. Oh, sorry, that, that's the measurement of what you were no, saying no, about the, the run defense, right? Which is that like this is this is the measurement of like the Ravens saying, we think he can actually hold his weight in those moments. Because I think that's the thing. That's the concern with him. He's too small. He's too light. The teams are going to run against him. And that it, that it essentially creates a proposition where there's nothing you can do but change your scheme to support it when they do that. Um, that that's the thing that's going to hold him back from his second contract, in my opinion. Yeah, it it it, uh, it, it certainly could be um, if he's if he's effective enough as as the one gap penetrator, you'll put up with a lot of sins in the run game. And and honestly, there are, there are so few complete linemen in the NFL, and the guys who are make tons and tons of money. So I you know I I'm he doesn't have to be Aaron Donald. You know, he, he doesn't have to be, you know, a, a lot of other really good interior defensive linemen. He just has to be a good interior pass rusher for him to, to really fulfill a long missing need for the Ravens. I'll take Aaron Donald, though. <laughs> so you, everybody on Twitter is going to tell you, or, or anybody, you know, most people listening to this show who don't care about the cap are all going to say, I'll take Aaron Donald. But once you look at the cap number, you're like, wait a minute. Sorry, I, I meant to say Aaron Donald or Lamar Jackson. Like you're right, like him playing at that. I, I meant I meant Justin Matabike <laughs> playing like he was Aaron Donald, not trading for Aaron Donald. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, fair enough. I, always a pleasure to talk football with you, Jordan. These are so much fun. Uh, and we run long. We run long again. I hope I haven't put you in trouble with your work uh, contacts at all. But uh, absolutely great show again. Always appreciate having you on. Tell folks where they can uh, talk talk football with you and, and a little bit about the Situation Room. Yeah, you guys can find us. We've got a podcast. It's at filmstudybaltimore.com. Um, it's the Situation Room. My co-host, Gabe Fergie, and I, uh, we, we run that. Um, I'm at Raven Sit Room on Twitter. Uh, basically, we're trying to break down the games every week, give you an idea of some of the big impact plays, what we're seeing from an X and O perspective, and kind of what how that's impacting the approach, the players, the coaching, all of that across the board. So we'd love to see you there, and we're, we're excited for week one's not too far away. All right. Outstanding. If you're if you want to be on a film study short this summer, July is your month. Uh, hit me up with a DM on Twitter. DMs are always open. I'll get back to you very quickly. Had some great ideas come in, but I want to hear from you, too. Uh, ideally, a narrow topic that we can discuss in some depth in about 25 or 30 minutes. Uh, Jordan, thanks again for coming on. Always, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.